Hello and welcome to Born to Dance, the podcast for Matthew Bourne's new adventures that explores and questions why dance moves, inspires and excites us. I'm your host, Paul Smethurst, resident artist for New Adventures, and every week I will be chatting to members of our extended family to discover their journey through dance and how it has impacted their lives. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Perhaps unbeknownst to many, As well as nurturing our professional company and inspiring future dancers, we are passionately committed to supporting and developing emerging dance artists working in communities. This exceptional programme is called Overture and is where we met today's guest over four years ago. Upon graduating university with a BA Honours in European Theatre Arts, he began working at the National Youth Theatre, where he is now an associate, and went on to choreograph the London 2012 Welcoming Ceremonies. He is also the artistic director of his amazing company, The Pappy Show. As with all great artists, it's hard to find one term to sum up this man's work, so I wanted to humbly offer some alternative suggestions. He is a professional joy maker, play lover, people connector and difference celebrator. He creates a lead through love, bravery and vulnerability. And today we are so lucky he is here to share with us his warmth and spirit. Kane Husbands, welcome to Born to Dance. (laughs) That's so amazing. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm bursting (laughs) with joy. How How does it feel hearing someone sum up you in that way? Oh gosh, I wish I could live up to what you've just said. You I want to the job description of professional joy maker. I'm definitely writing that on my CV. There we go. Steal it. Nab it. I give it to you. No, I find it interesting because we're often asked, aren't we, like, what do you do? And I think in the arts it's really hard to kind of define that. And even with your work, it was like a movement director, theatre maker. And I was actually like, how about we just throw that out the window and we just really sum up what it is that I think you do? So I hope, I hope that was okay. I appreciate it big time. That's the best introduction ever. There you go. You can you can steal it, and it can be the, the opening passage to your biography when that. I'm comes gonna out. play it every time I enter a space. <laughs> Coming into the room is <laughs> play your voice. So, Kane, thank you so much for for joining us. Uh, I wanted to start um, actually reflecting a bit of your practice back at you uh, in that way, uh, because you I've been blessed to be part of some of your workshops and you always start in, start with a bit of a check in and you play this gorgeous game that I love. So I wanted to ask you, when does the sun shine on you? Wow. When does the sun shine on me? Um, when I'm when I'm with my family, when I'm with my when I'm with my tribe, mm. I really feel like when you're with your people, it's like I could be anywhere, but it feels like the sun would burst through any clouds and shine on you. Um, that's what carries me, I think. Amazing. And just for a bit of context for those listening, can you explain what that what that game is and why you do it? So the sunshine on me is like a collective game where we all sit in a circle and somebody stands in the middle and they would say for them something that's true for them that would metaphorically make the sun burst through the dreary clouds and shine down on them so it's usually something that they love or like and if you agree you get off your chair and you try to sit in a different chair so you get lots of people just running around the space making these little mini connections on things that they love 
it's the best <laughs> it's such it's such a nice way to sort of start uh is is that important to you that um the the kind of check-in the care you know, i really feel like that's such a big part of your practice is just like making sure that the, the people in your space feel really comfortable and safe yeah big time i think that's what sets um some that's what sets like facilitation aside from like teaching and i think i can really hold a space um where learning can happen but i don't necessarily think i have all of the knowledge to to educate someone and i think that that definitely sets up the room in a way that means that we all start listening to each other and that every single voice in here needs to contribute and is important so hearing from everybody at the start i think sets that tone mm. I'm going, to come, I'm going to come on to your practice in a bit. I'm already going off on a tangent. But <laughs> because this is a New Adventures podcast and we met you through the Overture programme, I just wanted to, you to reflect on, on that experience. Uh, maybe people listening don't necessarily know what that programme is. Mm. How did you find out about it? Why did you apply? And what did you gain from that? Oh, my gosh. This takes me so far back because <laughs> I remember it being a big step, even the application of feeling like, oh, I don't know if I'm quite equipped enough for this I don't know if I'm I'm not a dancer I do choreograph but I probably work as more of a movement director than as a choreographer I don't necessarily always work with dancers so I felt like a fraud even applying so then when I get accepted um it it, it was it felt like I was giving myself a treat in going uh, you should be investing in yourself a bit more um, is that why you I, applied yeah, I wanted something nourishing to feel like I could definitely upskill myself and I'm really invest in a quick way into my practice and think, mm. um, how could I be more expansive in my thinking? And, and what does, because right at the heart of what I do is community. And this was all about community dance and social dance and thinking about uh, the people we work with. And I hadn't quite seen a program like this in in the dance world or in the movement world really that invested in taking that part of professional practice seriously um, it always felt like community dance was seen as a lesser than so for mm. uh, new adventures to be investing in this really felt like oh, i really want to apply mm. um, and it was like it would we had three weekends over the course of a year and uh, you met all these other artists from across the uk and we all came together and we're all doing somewhat similar things or very different things um, and it just felt like a real hubbub of diverse kind of practice, people doing stuff in such different ways. And I would always get to that weekend and go like, oh, God, maybe my schedule's really busy. What am I going to do? Am I going to be able to really apply myself to this weekend? And and I would turn up and it would be just what you needed at that point in your life. I think I nearly cried at every single one of like being like, this just speaks to my soul. I really needed this right now. Um and and I, I'm still in touch with a group of, with with that cohort. Mm. They um they kind of became brilliant professional peers, and um, that we all keep an eye on each other. And and it became a little network or community in its own right. What did it um give you in terms of you know a catalyst for you moving forward in your career? Was that was this before you had created your own company? Yeah, it started my own company and at that point we were just doing kind of workshops quite ad hoc um, and it made me realise that what I was doing was serious 
Mm. You know, it's not. Whereas in my mind, I was like, I'm just playing a couple of games with my friends, and actually, it was like, you're not doing that. Actually, Kane, you're running a company and you're engaging this many people, and it gave me the language to talk about what I was doing. Mm. Um, and I also learned loads of new approaches and techniques and ways of kind of ways of thinking or leading that I hadn't thought about. Um, there's some exercises that have informed my practice that I learned in that very first weekend that were specifically talking about what are your values or what do you need in a room to make it one of your rooms. And that's the language that has carried me through the past kind of five, six years since then. And I can see that so clearly because I, as I said at the beginning, I've managed to do a few of your workshops, which are just the most joyous things ever. But it feels so <laughs> clear that you know who you are, what you want to do, who you want to reach and how you want to do it. And, you know, you're young. And I just think that's that's such an amazing thing to have figured out at this point in your career. Yeah. Um, and you say that I, I'm just going to quote you back because I was, I was doing some research and it's that, that fun thing that I get to do. Um, <laughs> you say we are a diverse company that believes in celebrating our differences and giving space and a platform to the identities we hear from less. Why is that important to you? Where does that mission come from? I think when I look at my peers and my friendship groups, they look like this. They belong to many different diverse bodies. They're all shapes and sizes and colours and ages. And then when I go into theatre spaces or some dance spaces, I do not see this reflected back. And I go, I wonder what it would look like or what we could learn if we put all the difference on that stage. Who would feel included in the conversation? Um, I once heard this thing that said, um, what would it feel like if you weren't just tolerated in a space, but you were celebrated? And I would love for all the many different identities to feel celebrated, for one day to feel like they were really seen and heard. And what confidence might that give you to... to and. and like we're, we're moving all the time. Mm. Our bodies are constantly moving. What would it feel like if you were encouraged to move? If your, if your movement was celebrated? Yeah, and I just, I get that sense from your work and by the workshops that I've taken part of that it's, it's very levelling. It's just like everyone belongs. Everyone feels like they can contribute. And there's a real like democracy and there's an equality there that you, that you create. Do, do you think that comes from your work in the community arts sector and you're able to to bring that into that space and then onto your professional stage? I think so. And, and it's also that's all I've known. So I haven't known another way, like kind of teaching and facilitating and making work have all sat alongside one another. I've been like spinning those plates always. So there's never really been a chance where you go, or once if you just stop doing the like the community stuff now it's like that's that's all I know how to do I do that mm -hmm. alongside all the other stuff the people who we put on stages and the puppy shows work came from the community they didn't mm -hmm. go and study for years at drama school or at um, dance college or they they met in a workshop one day maybe five years ago and have stuck with us yeah. so we've kind of ended up training together through that way so I definitely think that my skill set as a facilitator has led me to making my own work mm. and I feel like you really sort of blend the two things together uh that community dance and the professional work I'm not a fan of community dance I think that's maybe a whole different 
project uh, a podcast in terms of that term uh, it's, mm. it's not my favorite term I wonder how what's your relationship with that with that term and and yeah what's your feelings around that categorization of the of the form I really hate that it's always separate to or seen as I think in some um, institutions it's seen as lesser like that you're um, you need less skill set to engage in it it's like you're doing this to to bend like to like jump off to take you somewhere else um and i think it's cultural it's like i spent some time in china a few um years back and social dance is right at the heart of their identity there were squares in the evenings where all different branches of the community would just come to dance and i was mm. like gosh imagine if that was a part of the uk culture where instead of when we heard the word dance, we didn't think like, oh, God, not me. I can't do it. Oh, I'm not skilled enough. And we just thought, oh, yeah, well, we dance every Friday night anyway. Um, instead, I feel there's a real separation be- between kind of professional dance and all the other forms of when we're moving and dancing. And I was thinking the other day about the word dance and the word movement. And when I think of movement, I think about running and chasing and playing games and when I think of dance sometimes I think of can I do it right or wrong so I don't know even if just in the words themselves mm. if they're limiting to us mm. um, and we need to keep developing the language we use to talk about all of it definitely and I think that was one of your discoveries that you mentioned on Overture is that it sounds like you gave yourself permission to call yourself an artist that works in that medium and maybe there was something blocking you from from doing that before like oh I'm not a dancer like you yeah. said that yourself like you don't feel like you're a dancer but but who's who makes these rules up exactly and it's like and what does that actually mean because I dance in my kitchen <laughs> every weekend yeah. I am a dancer we're of all course. dancers <laughs> but um there's something about feeling like am I equipped enough or do I have enough technique to call myself a dancer or am I like a fraud but I think people have imposter syndrome in all in all settings when you try and make it a career. So Kane, uh, that leaves perfectly beautifully well into my my first question, which is we ask all of our guests to describe their earliest memory of dance. So I wonder if I can take you back in time and get you to describe for us when and how did you first encounter dance? Is there something that really sticks out that you were like, oh, that? I think my earliest memory of, it's probably not of me dancing, or it might be, but it's definitely of me seeing dance. Um, and it was my mum and dad's wedding. Yeah. Um, my mum and dad, they met at 14 years old. They feel really at the start of my story, so they're a bit of a fairy tale. Um, and they met at high school, and that's when they started dating. And they, um, so from 14, which is what, like year nine, they stayed together and they had me and my brother and when I was around four years old, I went to their wedding and um, and I was dressed as like a tiny little sailor. <laughs> and um, and I remember... a nautical theme? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, why am I brother dressed as else? sailors? <laughs> Me and my brother. Right. It's like page boys for sailors. Uh, <laughs> and I remember them dancing to The Greatest Love by Whitney Houston. Oh. And... If that was their first dance and I just I, like I, I've got such a strong image and I don't know if that's from watching videos of it or if it's from being them um, myself but I've just seeing them so in love that it felt like feeling and dance really merged together 
So I only ever know dance is about feeling um, and that and that's what moves you. taken that inspiration into your practice i think a lot of my work is about love i'm really interested in how we see love and how we see touch and um and when it and it not only being romantic but actually i could dance with my dad you know what i mean and and actually i could dance with my brother and i could dance with my best friend um and all of these are just different expressions of what love can look like but yeah, it's interesting how gender dance can be. That actually, even now, I'm thinking it would probably be way more easier for me to dance with my mum and my aunts and my cousins yeah. than uh, with the other men. Which is interesting because the Papi Show's first show, Boys, was all around questioning what male vulnerability and male touch looks like. And it was about seeing men dancing with other men, probably because that is a rare sight. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. We'll come on to that. We'll come on to that in a bit. But I'm uh, still working through your sort of your history (laughs) and your childhood. Uh, Where are you from, Kane? I grew up in Birmingham. In Birmingham. And did you do did you do dance as a kid? Like, did you go to dance lessons? Did you dance at your school? Where did you? No, not at all. Um, We were quite a sporty family. My brother was a footballer. Um, and then he went and joined the Marines when he was a little bit older. So he kind of took those two fields. I don't think I ever really wanted to go into either of those two, but it was like, Michael's the footballer, don't do that. <laughs> I was like, I'm not being in competition with him. He'll be better at me than everything, so I'm not doing that. <laughs> so I did swimming and running, um, and that was my training, really, from very early until I was about 17, kind of two, three times a week, going to the track, running every day was swimming in the mornings um, and that became my fitness. Um, Mm. So I always was quite sporty and I always knew that I loved uh, moving. I was, I probably in some ways was always moving, couldn't keep, like couldn't sit still. Mm. Um, And, and yes, so that was my training in a way. Uh Uh-huh. And was, was dance with the arts a thing at your school or, or did that just sort of pass you by in a way? Not really. There was, we did have GCSE, um, like, theatre, theatre uh-huh. arts, maybe. Uh-huh. And I had a teacher who said um, that he hadn't had anybody get into the National Youth Theatre in, like, 10 years. And probably the competitive, slightly obnoxious side of me was like, I bet you I'll get in. <laughs> so I, so I went and auditioned. <laughs> it was. I was like, uh-huh. I see the challenge and I'm going to win. <laughs> and... Yeah. Um, and I auditioned and I got in and it was the best summer that I'd ever had. Like I met all these people a little bit like Overture. It felt mm. like you met people from all across the UK who were all interested in this similar thing. Um, and it was about being a part of a team. Uh, and I could really identify with wanting to f- that, that sense of belonging, feeling like I fit in here. Um, so for two weeks I trained there and then each year you could audition to be a part of the next season 
Uh, so each year I'd audition for the National Youth Theatre's programme and was really lucky to um, always be cast and to have some extraordinary opportunities that took me all across the world and the UK. Um, and it was all about telling stories. Mm. And then I went to drama school and I studied a course called uh, European Theatre Arts, which I guess looked at a more physical way of of telling stories. It wasn't just about the kind of... It, what, it definitely wasn't about only looking at British texts and performing texts. It was thinking about a more visual way of storytelling. Um, but it's funny because I think they saw me like... Uh, my drama school is the like naturalistic actor so they can't quite believe that I've been the one who's ended up carving this career in more movement they're like of all of us as if it was you who's doing this what why do you think that happened what 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 was that turning point where did the the transition come in if maybe it's not as clear-cut as that but where you just were like oh Yes, I'm going to use my love of movement and telling stories through this physical language to make art. Mm. I think I've always found, I can see the benefit of words now, but actually when you can talk about something, it gives people a window into to being able to um, invest or understand where you're coming from. But at the time, I used to find it really hard to communicate through words. Mm. I was like, I can't quite, I don't know how I'm feeling or I don't know what I want to, what I want to say. So finding a way that I could move or use my body to communicate, it felt like my way in. And I felt like I could understand things in pictures and in seeing things that I found really difficult in just reading. I didn't really, stories didn't illuminate for me in that way. Mm. Um, whereas seeing pictures and colours and textures, I felt, um, was a way in for me to understand. And I thought maybe if this is a way in for me, there's got to be other people who similarly have have a visual interest. That That's it. And I think without getting too deep into this subject, I think our education system really is playing towards a certain type of learner uh and maybe excludes other people that learn in a very different way especially kinesthetic and visual learners and that obviously is what what you you know what you're describing there and i just think uh you know it's so now when you when you when you're educated because you teach don't you and you lecture and you do workshops do you think you've carried that is that very important that you it's not just all based on you you know being verbose and talking but it's yeah physicalizing it Absolutely. And I think that's the challenge, actually, that when we meet people post kind of GCSE, they've kind of learned this way that is to that the correct way is to do it with words and actually trying to encourage people that there's so many ways you could communicate your ideas that it's not just about who's the most fluent in this language that mm. is that should prosper or be or be the people who climb to the top, that actually there's a million different ways of communicating your ideas. Mm. Uh, we should be doing this podcast through the, through the physical form, though, shouldn't we? We should just stop talking. <laughs> what does it look like? <laughs> uh, don't know. But it um, is the words that I say the most in my teaching. I'm like, okay, now show me. Show me what you mean. I'm mm. like, don't tell me. Don't talk about it. Mm. Show me. I don't want to just hear it. I want to see it. Show me what it looks like. Um, because you... it's one thing to say it, and it's a different thing to to do it and live it and be it. Mm. And I wonder whether that is also this idea of it being a leveller, because we at the end of the day, whether we are articulate or eloquent with our words, we all have a body that we can use 
you know, even if we are disabled or not, we have this form that we can sort of express with. Do you yeah. think that, it, it again, it's about democratising the space? I think so. And I think there's something about any human body on a stage is political. It's really like, it's, it's a vulnerable and it's a radical act. So I think I want to give opportunity and space to who can access that space, you know, who, who gets that platform. I think we should yeah. be questioning that. That takes me on to another quote that I found of yours that I want to just bring up that I find really interesting <laughs> that ties into this uh, ties into this conversation. Uh, you were talking about traveling because I'm assuming through your course at Rose Bruford, you, you got to travel a lot, which is gorgeous. You said it planted a curiosity in me to want to tell stories at times without words and to lean into discovering the universal language of movement. So that is like, we're not even talking about English there. You're talking about you're, you're in a foreign country and you're like, well, how do we, how do we exist together? How do we communicate? Now I look back, there's been so much of that that's been a part of my history of like looking at, I was working in China for a while and was just working with Chinese dancers and I was the only person who could speak English and probably the colonial thing that we do is think that everybody should come to us where actually it's like everybody in this room can communicate. I just can't. So it's up to me to find my way of um, of kind of being involved in the conversation. There's definitely community that exists here between all the dancers and they're trying to bring me into the conversation. I just don't have the language or the words. And at the end of two or three weeks working together, I found like I had these brilliant friends and yet we hadn't even shared a word. And I was like, that is absolute gold dust that we found this human to human connection of eating together and being together and dancing and moving and touching. And yet we can't understand a single word either of us is saying. So like, we can't only say that words should be the way in. Because I've just had this really enriching experience that nobody outside of here would understand and that I can't really communicate with words. But who's to say that it didn't exist? And obviously in New Adventures, you know, we, we are equally as passionate about, you know, telling stories throughout you know, without using our words. Um, and yeah, I, I guess it, it just brings me on to, to ask you, is movement your stimulus? Is it your is that the kind of the main priority of of the Pappy show or or is it not as clean cut as that? I don't know if it is as clean cut as that, but I definitely think it's our starting point that we think of. Um, I guess we think about what's the best way to tell this story um, and might it be a solo or might it be with somebody doing some spoken word or might it be just the costume and lights doing the work or but often I think it is for us something visual it's about what does it look like and how do we see it so that then often words are another texture that the meaning comes from rather than just the, the starting point um, I think the hard thing with that is it feels somewhat new in theatre as, as an approach. Theatre is really used to finding, wanting you to submit your script and they'll have a read and then they'll go with your idea. Whereas we're like, but that's not my chosen form of communicating. And does that mean that in a theatre world, my ideas are rubbish because I can't submit them in the same way? Dance is better because you could submit your proposal and people get the idea. But um, I now try and use the word performance. So I say what I do is performance because performance has existed in all contexts since the beginning. Mm. 
it, like I see performance with my aunt sitting around the table in the Caribbean all pretending to be other people and telling <laughs> stories and it's in the church with the choir it's like it's down the road like in this coronavirus time I saw people like um, making a little band in the street and playing and you're like that's performance performance mm. exists everywhere I love hearing you talk about your work and we're going to get on to <laughs> we're going to get on to the formation of of Pappy show in in a moment but I just want to go back a second because it, it it sounded like you just sort of accidentally fell into the National Youth Theatre like you, you know you did it for the challenge like did you when you got there did you feel like I have no idea what I'm doing like what is this or did you have any understanding <laughs> of what what you got yourself into I was totally out of my comfort zone. We got put onto this course and I was the youngest one on the course. I was 16 and there were like 21 year olds on the course. And I just thought they were amazing. I was like, they're so talented and brilliant. And, and, I, and I once spoke to the person who led the course and I saw some writing that you have to like write a report about each person on the course. And my report said something like, nice guy quite smiley and I was like I think that's all I probably offered I don't know if I spoke much at all in those two weeks I was just so like happy and smiley and enjoying it and just out of my comfort zone that I knew I loved it there but I don't think I had much other than a bit of kindness and generosity to bring to it but look at that as a foundation to where you are now and uh you know you are still a nice guy that's really <laughs> smiling <laughs> but you know you're doing some awesome things and you actually it must be quite full circle because you still work for national youth theater don't you as an associate so how did that come about and how what does that mean to you um so after i finished drama school i I applied for a job there and I stayed there for four years and I was full-time kind of looking after a lot of their regional work and their international work and then I became a freelancer and started to invest in my own practice and working for many other people um, and all this time I've been working with the National Youth Theatre and then a couple of years back they asked if they could make the Pappy Show their first associate company which felt massive because in their long 60-year history like for us to be their first ever associate company is really validating. Um, and to think that 16 year old me all these years later to, to be where I am now and to have this wonderful connection, they've been in my life for half of my life. Mm. It's, um, I so value that they've, they've done lifing with me. They've mm. not just been witness to it. They've been in my life and kind of navigated so many um, important gear changes and shifts and turns and and supported me through that so um, I've taken a lot from the the friends and the mentors that have kind of supported me along this journey and and they still continue to be a really loud presence for me that um... mm. and I and I think it really that that idea of family you know they it sounds like they've become a family and I think that you are sort of imitating that or maybe you know borrowing from that and, and putting that into your company it feels like yeah, absolutely. I think I learned so many wonderful things about ensemble from them of like to be a part of a team and a group. And that actually it's made me want to question like leadership. What is higher up? Like, how can we get rid of hierarchical leadership? How could all the people in the room have a voice, mm. not just the person leading the room? And um, so it's made me really question practice in a way and the ways we do things. Yeah, because you, you obviously... 
I've heard you say before, I'm the artistic director, but actually we don't really work that way. It's very, it's very collaborative. Um, and you, the, you said, um, again, I'm going to quote you, everyone in the room contributes to making, to making the work, you know, it's, it's, it, ensemble is the heart of your practice. So why, why is that, why is that important to you? I just think, I think it's this idea of, uh, maybe imposter syndrome of feeling like I don't have all the answers here. And also it's wrong for me to assume that my vision is the best one, that actually I've got a skill set that can hold the room and I can definitely bring my skill set. But I wonder what if everybody else in the room brought their skill set, what that could become. And every time I think that I need to go away and do more planning and be like, let me just work it out exactly what I need to do before I enter the space and I turn up and I meet the people, the plan in some way goes slightly out of the window and you go, of course it should be this way because you lot in the room are amazing. And I would never think in the ways that you will think. So trying to hold a space where everybody can contribute, I think we get something new out of it. I also wonder whether um, it ties into your your ethos of, you know, celebrating differences and championing uh, unique voices. I wonder, you know, if it was that hierarchical way of, leading then you would be negating that in a way because it would just be your your voice and your difference which of course is important but it sounds like you're opening that up to a bigger group i think so and i think we all experience the world through very different lenses like the choices i make are built on the history i've had and the experiences i've had so what if everybody in this space had that same chance to for us to, for a small moment, put their goggles on and experience the world through the ways that they've seen it. Mm. I feel like we'd learn lots more. I totally agree. Uh, I want to talk a bit about play because you say that play makes us better people and at the heart of your work is all about joy and play. So how does play make us better people and why is that important to your practice? I just think that when I look at, when the world gets very, very serious, and like, it, I don't know, there's some maybe, if I, if I could see some of the people who run our world, if they would have had the experience of rolling around on the floor, pretending to be silly, playing tag in, in rooms, I think it makes us better community people. I think we start to stop seeing, I think we, I think we see the humanity in people a little bit more through playing we tap into our inner child and we become responsive and we listen for what's there we stop seeing the kind of binary ways of you don't think the same things as me or and it gets very kind of academic or heady or up here and I think we want to get back down to our primal senses and and care and compassion and humanity and touch and and I think they're the ways that and for me play is the way of accessing that Mm. it's the it's the unlocking of the door isn't it to 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 get in there and to break yeah. down some of those some of those boundaries do you think play and vulnerability are very um connected very closely I think connected? they're massive i think it's really hard to hate people close up <laughs> when you're really <laughs> close to them it's really hard to dislike them when you know more about them and when you know where they come from and their history and their family and when you see all of that stuff it's really hard to dislike people um, and I think we've got so much more that connects us than what differs us. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think you let your guard down when you play games. You really tap into your inner silliness mm. and we see each other for who we are in those moments. 
in when you're kind of leading a room and you're getting us all to be really playful do you find anyone really resisting that i think it can feel really unfamiliar for some people and it's like you said with the keys and unlocking a door it's like you have to just keep trying many different keys but i think the persistent one in me is like we're gonna get <laughs> we're gonna get in somehow yes. <laughs> yeah we will find that key <laughs> by the end of this session we'll have rooted through the trunk and yeah definitely and it's such a beautiful amazing feeling when not just you know not just for yourself when you feel that liberating feeling of playing but when you see someone else truly tapping into that and letting go that must be so rewarding they're like the exquisite moments in life yeah. aren't they it's like oh my like my most satisfying moment is like when you're i don't know if you're at like out with your friends or out with family and you're kind of out of the circle and you can just see all the jokes and the fun being had elsewhere like just over the corner i'm like that gives me so much heart and joy or like i don't know if you were say like on the beach somewhere or in a park and you can just see loads of fun being had somewhere else i love that feeling mm. and i think for those few moments we really stop thinking about what we look like what we're saying we're like our god really just drops and we're in the moment enjoying each other's company and i kind of i think when you said a joy maker i was like I would love to be a professional person for organising spaces that that happens in, that you could go, that's happening right now. Everybody in this room has let their guard down and it's just enjoying each other. Well, I think you should work on that because I think we need that in our lives even more than ever right now. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I'm going to move on to our next question, which is asking you about the most impactful piece of dance that you've seen. And you wrote in and told us that it was a piece called Sessions by Stillhouse. Could you tell us a little bit about that piece and why it moved you and, and resonated with you so much? Mm. So this piece, it was, I think some of the best things, best moments are things that I've just stumbled upon. So I hadn't planned on going to see this work. I was um, catching up with some friends outside the National Theatre and it was in the middle of the summer and they took a, they kind of created this, uh, outdoor stage I think it's called like the river stage outside their their bar um, and it was so a performance was happening there and it was this group of young black women majority women um, from I think their tiniest performer was like four years old and there was maybe around 30 women who all came out and it was this electric fierce gentle it was it just fully embodied in some way like street culture and it for me I could really identify with blackness in this moment of like I was like this is such a black female like quality that you've really managed to harness and perform the complexity of what that is and it felt brave and raw and celebratory and it lasted about 45 minutes and it was with all these different ages from maybe their eldest were in their 20s or 30s. And this four year old was the youngest. And it was about sisterhood in some ways. And it was a dance piece. And I think halfway through it started raining and it was like they were stomping and really. And it was like, this is amazing. <laughs> um, and what I loved about it is they really use their voices. So whether it was grunts or sounds or um it wasn't words that they were using, but 
the breath and the voice felt so integral to the feeling and it just rippled and spilled out into the audience and what may have started with just a small audience around it the whole like outside of the national was just packed with people sitting on shoulders climbing and clambering to see and I was like this is the power of dance you've totally just brought a whole community of people from all different like walks of life to it to appreciate this and I love that you might the person over the other side vote in a very different way to me have very different thoughts believe in different things and we're all standing here brought communally together and I was like this is brilliant this is absolute perfection <laughs> I wish that I'd seen it I really do and I watched the video and I was like oh this just looks yeah incredible um and it sounds like you're talking about the performers just really giving that you know they they're kind of giving their energy and it's that contagious thing where you just get kind of like mesmerized and you get sort of drawn into it and it's not it doesn't sound like it's ne necessarily about what they're what they're trying to say but actually what what they're what they're just living and, and doing in the, in the moment yeah say? i really think that it was like that they weren't pretending to be anybody else other than themselves they were it felt really truthful and authentic um and yeah, it was just it I just so remember it like a tidal wave, the feeling spilling into the audience yeah. and us all just wanting to sort of be a part of it and get I was like, oh you kind of wanted to run on and be a part of it and do and join them in their dance and you sort of wanted to stay back as an audience member and appreciate it. But there was a real conversation between what was happening on the stage and in the audience. Yeah. And do you make work in that way is it do you do any sort of site specific stuff how do you bring that feeling if you are creating work that's in a theater space because they're, they're just very different aren't they how do you break that that down yeah i think well no i do do a lot of site specific work a lot of my work has been in outdoor spaces and in um, non-theater spaces um my challenge is how can you make it feel like that when you're in a theater space yeah like when we're in theater how can it feel like it was designed so specifically for this space that it couldn't happen anywhere else because i think that really celebrates the liveness of it so at the moment we haven't necessarily done like a huge uk tour of anything we've often every time we've re we've performed one of our pieces we definitely have had to redevelop it and go how could it be how could it work for this audience and these people in this venue but it's so refreshing to to hear you consider your work in that way who inspires you kane husband so what any artists pieces of work um or just yeah what who who inspires you i get really inspired by music um i love oh, i love r&b and soul music um probably probably takes me back to my childhood and growing up and that was just always on in our house so yeah. i love music um i really i've started to now look at more like performance art um that has never really been a thing but i'm just really curious about how people are making different types of work now yeah. um and i think in some worlds performance art places the body in a really vulnerable position when i think of artists like marina abramovich it's like her body is really is is the act of the work and her stepping into that arena is a brave courageous act um and i really think that that relates to dance and theater as well that mm. there's something political about um a body in space and actually even when we talk about joy 
I'm like, that's radical at the moment in a really complex world. Seeing a black man <laughs> joyful is a radical act. And I'm like, I want to see more of that. So um, there's different performance artists that I'm following at the minute. Um, and then I really love at the minute the writing of a man called Casey Gerald. He's, um, he's got a book called There Are No Miracles Here. And that's really, that's what I'm reading at the moment. He's just got a really wonderful way of talking about radical joy that I really like. I'm going to come on to music now. You just mentioned music. It's obviously a huge inspiration for you. Uh, we ask all of our guests to pick their favourite piece of music to dance to. We're going to play a little snippet of your choice. Thinking About You by Frank Ocean. When you when you wrote in with your responses to our question, you said he speaks to your soul, <laughs> <laughs> which I love. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Oh, I so remember. I think the first time I heard this song, and just dancing and feeling it was like you know when you dance with your eyes closed and you just think like nobody's there. That's what I was doing just there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I so remember that feeling. And I remember the person who introduced me to that song, and I think he's like probably the love of my life. And just thinking like, oh, you're so amazing. Having this intense infatuation um, with this person and feeling like um, it just is a really nostalgic time of feeling like, you know, when it's like you're in the sun and the days feel really long and it's like sunset time and you're like out in a park and you're like, oh, if I could just like, freeze this moment and be in this that's like the most perfect kind of afternoon or afternoon into evening um and then that was when i kind of followed frank ocean and i think all of his songs feel really unique i can spot his voice a mile off and i love the way he uses words and it, i just catch that feeling how do you use music to talk to us a little bit more about how you use music in the rehearsal room i've you know been in one of your workshops and you you, you play all these different tunes and that i feel like it's a real conscious decision that you that you flood us with different audible stimuli mm, i think there's like a constant barrage of different sounds of music that just goes throughout the whole of the whole of the workshop it's like an overstimulation of sound and I really love that because I think we lose the, it takes people out of their heads and into their bodies. And it's like, whether that's we're doing the movement that has been prescribed or whether that's just somebody in the corner waiting and just jigging along, it's like it, you catch the feeling in some ways. And music, I think, takes us into a feeling and then we can choose to lean more into that or to subvert it and do the opposite but i often use music as the catalyst for like the way in it often unlocks things for for me um like my favorite way would be if we could have and we've done this a few times the dj in the corner and they're responding to the movement of all of us and we're responding to what they are but it's really like celebrating the liveness of it of like if that's responding to us live and we're responding to what kind of conversation could happen there mm. oh I love that. That was one of my questions. Do you commission work, um, at music, you know, musicians to, to create with you? Yeah, we've, we've got a really, 
there's a man called Roly Bofa who we've worked with for a number of years and he often takes that role of like being the DJ of the room and he'll be coming up with stuff as we're responding and it does feel like a live conversation and then we can go back and question like what choices he made and what we made and what was working and what wasn't but I think it's a provocation that I'd love to do more of. Mm. I cannot wait to come and watch what you make next i'm just so excited uh before we move on to the last couple of parts of our conversation what does the puppy show mean so puppy show is a caribbean word and after that time where i was in the national youth theater and those four years of working there i left there and i probably went on a bit of a soul search and i went to the caribbean it was the first time i'd ever been for some reason, probably because of the National Youth Theatre, whenever my family had gone, I'd always gone to London and done NYT shows and been a part of their programme instead of going to visit my family in the Caribbean. So it was around 24, 25 when I went, and I went for two months on my own. And I met this, all of, I met this family who I'd only spoken to on the phone, of like this, and it felt like this support system that I didn't even know was there for me. It was on the other side of the world, like looking out for me. Um, and Papi show over there means foolishness or silliness. And it is the thing that my cousins say all the time. They're like, what kind of Papi show are you? <laughs> or what are you taking me for a Papi show? And they just are always saying Papi show. So then I was like, this is the perfect name for my company. It means playing games or being stupid or acting the goat or, and they're always saying it. And even now when conversation runs dry, they just go, Kane's got a company called Pappy Show and it will make the whole room just erupt because they think it's ridiculous. They can't quite believe that, that that's what's happened. I just love the story behind that because I think a lot of people will, you know, like me, we're just, I, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know what that means. But <laughs> it's, it's so intriguing. And, but it, 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 once you delve a little bit deeper, it really just speaks about what you're all about and, <laughs> you know, what you love. And I, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Uh, Kane, okay. If you could turn any story, film, or book into a Matthew Bourne production, oh, wow. what would you pick? Oh my God, this is so massive. What would I choose? Oh my gosh. I've just discovered it's a children's book, and I think it's called Julian at the Wedding. <laughs> and I'm going to suggest that it's, okay, about a a young, it's about a young uh, brown child who's a young brown boy and he wants to wear a dress to the wedding <laughs> and I just think it's brilliant <laughs> I love that and I, so <laughs> is there a series because I feel like I bought a book for my nephew that was called like Julian the Mermaid and it's yeah about... yeah yeah it's the yeah. same one the same child it's so beautiful <laughs> He wants to be I, a mermaid and he dresses up like people in the in the you know in the in the carnival. Yeah, I love yeah. it. I'm going to say that Julian at the wedding. I want to see that. Okay, amazing. <laughs> I'll pass it on to him. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, Kane, we end our podcast every week with a bit of a silly quiz. Uh, it consists of ten quick fire questions about dance. Um, no pressure. <laughs> I'm nervous. No. <laughs> Take, take some deep breaths. It's just a bit of fun. It's a bit of, it's just a bit of pappy show. Um, <laughs> just answer whatever comes into your head, okay? Are you ready? Yes. Let's begin the Born to Dance quiz. Yeah. 
just to make me even more stressed. <laughs> question, question number one. Whilst Matthew Bourne has run and danced companies since 1987, the name New Adventures wasn't the original name. What was it called before? Oh, gosh. I'm going to say Matthew Bourne Company. <laughs> Sadly, that's wrong. Don't feel bad. Don't feel bad, please. It was a long time ago. You were a whippersnapper. It was Adventures in Motion Pictures or AMP. As some people would call it amp. Question number two: Grande mm. and Chico are two versions of what type of Spanish activity? Um, flamenco. <laughs> yes, it is flamenco. Yes, that is correct. Question. Question number three: The patron saint of dancers and actors is who? <laughs> Um, shaking his head everyone can't, can't I'm going for Saint Nicola uh. <laughs> sadly it's not I wish it was Saint Vetus oh, that's a nice name yeah Vetus I might call my child Vetus <laughs> it sounds like Vetus <laughs> Saint Vetus uh, question number four in 1962, Little Eva introduced what new dance? It's like a dance form, like that everyone would do. A form of dance, contemporary what, yeah. dance. <laughs> <laughs> Little e- e- what is it? It was the locomotion. <laughs> I mean, close. Yeah, <laughs> little Eva. <laughs> I'm doing really well at this. Just smash, smashing it, really smashing it. Uh, question number five. Matthew Bourne has created productions to the ballet scores of Tchaikovsky and Prokofiev, but which of the two has composed more ballets in their lifetime? I'm going to go Prokofiev. Yes! Get this in. is great guesswork. Come work. on. 50-50 chance, mate. Uh, Prokofiev has composed eight and Tchaikovsky only did three. Wow. So, there yeah. you go. I knew that. I was speaking from a place Prolific. of knowledge. Prolific Prokofiev. Uh, <laughs> question number six. Staying with the Russian theme, the Bolshoi Ballet is one of the most famous ballet companies in the world in Moscow. Uh, what does the word Bolshoi mean? Oh. Brave. <laughs> I wish it was, but it's not. <laughs> it was big or large or grand or great. No. Not, brave. not, brave. <laughs> not for me. <laughs> uh, question number seven. What are Hamilton House and Petronella? What are they? Are they characters? <laughs> <laughs> no. They are Scottish country dancers. Oh, okay. Has uh, anybody got these right? <laughs> <laughs> Question number eight. What was the name of the beguiling gypsy dancer in The Hunchback of Notre Dame? Oh my gosh, what is her name? I should know this. Anastasia. No. Oh. oh, it begins with a G, doesn't it? Does it begin no, with a G? No. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it was... Esmeralda. Oh yeah, I only With know the from the Disney. And the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Demi Moore did her voice. Hey, yes, really? Of extra knowledge for you all. Wow. Um, see, I should be doing the quiz. Question. <laughs> question number nine. Which twentieth-century ballerina was later edible? 
tiramisu. I don't know. <laughs> that would make sense. It would. Because it was inspired by her tutu, but it was actually a pavlova. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was that? Was that her name? Anna Pavlova. Anna Pavlova, wow. Anna Pavlova yeah. yeah. Question number 10. Last question. You'll be glad Phew. to know. Phew. <laughs> According to folklore, which hypnotic dance can cure a spider's bite? Can cure it. Wow. Yeah. So someone would dance, da- dance this dance, and then you'd 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 be cured. Belly dance. <laughs> Not the first to offer that as an answer. It, it was the tarantella, oh, okay. which I believe comes from tarant. The word tarantula. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can I, see I that. I'm not an expert. Um, well, wow, they're really got... easy. They're really easy questions. It's really easy. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a valiant, valiant two. effort. You've got two. Yay! Yeah. I'm yeah. glad I got some. Go. <laughs> uh, which I think puts you in joint last. last. <laughs> There's no diplomatic way of saying it. Joint last position. Um, Kane Husbands, it's been such a joy and a pleasure to talk to you uh, and interview you and just find out more about you and the work that you do. Thank you so much for joining us on Board oh, to Dance. Thank you, Paul. It's been the best gift. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Take care. See you soon. <laughs> <laughs>